0: A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to the Mahaloth Lenoth, a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shale i am counted among those who go down to the pit i'm a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more for they are cut off from your hand you have put me in the depths of the pit in the regions dark and deep your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, now as we give attention to your word, in particular uh, this rather dark and in many ways difficult psalm, We pray that you would guide our time. We ask this now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Scholars agree that this is probably the saddest psalm in the entire Bible. It's particularly so when we consider the opening words of this psalm over and against the words that ended Psalm 87. You may recall that last week as The sons of Korah were telling us about this glorious city of Zion, God's great city, in which singers and dancers are proclaiming that all their springs are in Zion. In other words, their entire life, their entire being is found in this glorious city of God. But Psalm 88 opens with a cry for God to listen. The psalmist is being fervent in crying out to God, but apparently God is not hearing, or if he's hearing, he's not speaking. As we consider the flow of the psalm, we understand why commentators agree that this is probably the saddest psalm in the entire Bible. Listen to just sort of the flow of the first seven verses. Day and night I cry out to you, my life draws near to the grave. I go down to the pit. I am set apart with the dead. I am like the slain who lie in the grave. You put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. And that's just the first seven verses. Now I suspect this morning that this text hits our ears in a particularly unpleasant way. And I suspect it does so because we live amidst a culture that is addicted to comfort and pleasure. And so thoughts of death and judgment are surely out of step with the ethos of the day and age in which we live. If this were a social media post, if Psalm 88 was somehow posted on Instagram, it would get flagged. It's sensitive content that you might not want to view, or it might even get tagged as being disinformation. And yet, there are seasons, aren't there, in which we may resonate deeply with the psalmist. There are seasons in which we may go before the Lord and say, I'm crying out before you. And I'm not sure if you're hearing me. I think all of us at some point can resonate with that first phrase in verse 3. My soul is full of troubles. A psalmist feels as though God has abandoned him. And when we feel that God has abandoned us, the psalmist tells us there are two things we need to do. We need to first keep praying, and secondly, we need to remember Jesus. So there's our big idea for this morning. When we feel God has abandoned us, we must keep praying and remember Jesus. Four points we want to make them this morning. The first one is this. Even the most mature believer can feel that God has abandoned them. Even the most mature believer can feel that God has abandoned them. Note that in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist is faithful in prayer. The psalmist isn't saying, hey, uh, one day I was kind of troubled and so I threw up a few. Hey God, if you're really there, would you do something? No, Uh, the psalmist is saying, listen, day and night, O Lord, God of my salvation, I'm crying out to you. And I'm asking that you would incline your ear to the cry of my prayer. And so the psalmist is faithful in prayer. And in the details of verses 1 and 2, we understand that this is a mature believer who is wrestling with God in prayer. Now, the superscription of the psalm tells us it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. So in other words, Uh, These are folks who were specifically chosen to serve as music leaders in the temple. So these are people who are in the presence of God on a daily basis, and they're charged with helping lead the people of God in their worship of the one true creator, God. These are not new believers. The psalmist is not someone who uh, used to worship some other god or uh, like Ruth used to worship false gods, but then comes to a confession of the true God. Uh, no, the psalmist is someone who, as it were, grew up in church. They function leading God's people before the living God in worship. Note, too, in your Bible, in verse 1, it says, O oh Lord, and that word Lord is in all caps. In other words, it's the covenant name for God. It's It's Yahweh. So this is a believer who understands himself to be in a covenant relationship with God. That there are obligations and responsibilities that they have, and in the same way, God is obligated and made himself responsible to the other person as well. This, again, is not someone who has no notion of how God works or that God exists. This is not someone who has to make up, well, you know, I think God might be like. No, this is a believer who is claiming for themselves the covenant reality of their relationship with the Lord God. And he knows in verse 1 that God is a God who saves. And he doesn't just say God who saves, but he calls him God of my salvation. Friends, this is a mature believer. And this is a mature believer who understands the covenant realities of their relationship with the God who has saved them. In other words, this cry to God and this wrestling with God is not a lack of faith. Rather, it's an example of faith in action. The psalmist is troubled. The psalmist is is despairing. They have a soul that is full of trouble. They want God to answer, but God does not appear to even be listening. And so what do they do? They keep praying, and their faith is finding expression in and through this psalm. There's a wonderful little book by a, a Lutheran pastor. We're reading another book of his as a session called The Care of Souls. The man's name is Harold Sinkbile. And he's written a very, very helpful, uh, and it's a beautiful little book. It's it's really well laid out. Um, It's called Christ in Calamity. And the author's name is Harold Sinkbile. Listen to a quote from his book about the nature of faith. He says, faith is not a feeling. Let me say that again. Faith is not a feeling. Rather, faith is the arm by which we grasp the promises of God. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is the arm by which we grasp the promises of God. Friends, in the way that the psalmist addresses God, when he says, I'm crying out to you day and night, I need you to incline your ear to me, let's understand that his cry, his prayer, is an act of profound and deep saving biblical faith. He's seeking to lay hold of both the covenant reality of his relationship with God and the fact that not only is God a God who saves, but God is the God who has saved him. Now, at times, when we find ourselves crying out what the psalmist cries out in verse 3 my soul is full of trouble if you're fortunate enough to have friends with whom you can talk about those kinds of things if you're not careful your friend will say something like this because they're trying to be helpful but in reality probably not they'll say something like well you know if you just have enough faith In that point, they start to sound like Job's friends. So you read the book of Job. When Job says, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure what's happening here. Oh, sure you do. You're a sinner and you lack faith. Let's beware in both our giving and our receiving of spiritual counsel. Friends, to cry out before the Lord and go, hey, listen, I'm crying out to you day and night. My soul is full of troubles. And God, I'm not even sure that you hear me. That's not a lack of faith. Rather, that is faith in action. You're wrestling with God. Don't stop. And don't think that because you're struggling with these feelings that God has abandoned you, Don't think that means you lack faith. It might, but not necessarily. Again, we need to heed the advice of Lloyd-Jones and preach to ourselves as opposed to merely listening to ourselves. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is the arm by which we grasp the promises of God. Secondly, we need to remember Jesus. We need to remember Jesus. The reason that the psalmist is having uh, such problem, the reason that their soul is so full of trouble, is not merely their circumstances. Now that's a part of it. Look at verse 3. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. Now we're starting to get to the heart of the matter. Why is the psalmist troubled? The psalmist is troubled because of what we read in verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit. It's your wrath that lies heavy upon me. You, God, are overwhelming me with all those waves You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Every day I call upon you. I spread out my hands to you. See, the psalmist is convinced that it's God who is behind his troubles. That whatever it is that's going on, God is the one who is behind it. Now, when we uh, are are tempted to think that, and by the way, uh, God is sovereign, so God is behind all that happens, but the Bible also tells us that God is not the author of evil. So God is not doing evil to the author. But the text that Abby read for us this morning is helpful in understanding exactly what it is that's going on. So uh, keep your finger in Psalm 88. But turn back over to our New Testament text. Turn back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So let's note, first of all, what Paul tells us in verse 7, which is we have this wonderful treasure, which is what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that God has shown that into our hearts. So we have the gospel. We have the gospel within us, that's the treasure. but we have it in jars of clay. Why is that? It's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So let's remember that on those days in which we're going, "Hey, I'm, I'm troubled, my soul is troubled. Let's remember that in all of that, God is working it to His good, to, to excuse me, to His glory for our good. And that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So in the midst of the trial, God is not trying to show how great and mighty you are. He's trying to show how great and mighty he is. But note the wonderful promise that begins in verse 8. We're afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. I like the King James Version better. We're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We're being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that when you when you look at your life and when you, when you say with the psalmist, my soul is troubled, this is what's going on, and God, by the way, I think you're behind it. Well, if he is, let's remember that it's for a purpose. It's not that God is not good. It's not that God is asleep at the wheel. But rather, it's Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. But we need to remember Jesus also. Because where we can say, for example, your wrath lays heavy upon me. You have put me in the depths of the pit. Uh, what we think to be true and might be true was really and actually true with the Lord Jesus. Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, when we read of the suffering servant, we're told that it was indeed God's will to crush him. When we get to the Gospels, particularly Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's very clear that the kind of suffering that Jesus was going to endure, that enduring upon himself the wrath of God was not his idea. It was God's. Now, he's done all of that so that what we read in First Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your sting, where, or death, is your victory, but sin and death and the grave have been swallowed up in victory. All of that was God's plan. All of the suffering of the Lord Jesus was redemptive. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that likewise, when we manifest the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's so that the life in Jesus would also be manifested in our lives. In other words, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the kind of suffering that the psalmist is talking about is now redemptive. God uses it, He takes it for His own glory, it's for our good but it's also for His own glory. And so remember Jesus. When you look at your life and you go, man, I don't know what God is up to, but I think He's the one who's behind this. Yes, He's not the author of sin. He's not the author of evil. But God in His grace, God in His mercy, uses our suffering. God uses our tribulations. God uses our travail. So as Paul says, we do not lose heart. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we remember the Lord Jesus. We remember what he has uh, accomplished for us in his suffering. That which was redemptive for him has now become redemptive for us. Thirdly, then, we keep dealing with god or we keep praying the psalmist is certain that it is god who is behind his troubles so what does he do well he doesn't stop praying in fact now he moves from hey god i need you to incline my ear because it would be good if you listen to now in verse 10 Uh, the psalmist is asking god questions directly do you notice that there's no more pious kind of beating around the bush you know There's no Homer Simpson. Oh, Lord, you're so omnivorous. Uh, No, this is straight, direct, to the point. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? The psalmist keeps praying. The psalmist keeps asking God questions. The psalmist keeps dealing with God in prayer. He doesn't stop. Jesus teaches us a similar lesson. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, he shares what's known as the parable of the persistent widow. Sometimes it's called the unjust judge. But the gist of it is this there's a widow. Who can't gain a hearing from a judge, and everyone knows the judge is crooked, the judge is corrupt. And so what does the widow do? Day and night she keeps coming before him, she keeps always she's she's just being she's just pestering the life out of him. And so I love the way that Jesus puts it. Keep your keep your finger, if you would, in Psalm uh in Psalm eighty eight, and turn over with me to Luke chapter eighteen. Luke 18. We found on page 1056 in your pew Bible. Luke 18. Let's look at. uh, Well, let's just read it together. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, and this is a great line, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, When our soul is troubled, when we are convinced that it is God who is behind our troubles, keep dealing with Him. Keep praying. Don't stop. Remember the parable of the persistent widow. If an unjust judge will give justice to a woman because And I love how he puts it, she's just going to beat me down. Then we need to trust and hear and believe Jesus' words. And we need to keep dealing with God in prayer. Thirdly, or excuse me, fourthly and finally, we need to remember Jesus yet again. We need to remember Jesus yet again. It's interesting as we read this. Uh, I, you, you can't help but read Psalm 88 and, and hear Jesus praying this in the events of his passion, in the events leading to his death. But I, O Lord, cry out to you in the morning My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? There's that wonderful hymn we serve, how deep the Father's love for us. And that haunting line in which we sing, and the Father turned his face away. And we know that when God the Father laid the sin of the elect on God the Son, that he indeed did turn his face away. He could not look at what Christ had become. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept me away. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. And now to add insult to injury, verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Do you remember who was there when Jesus was on the cross? Do you remember where Peter was? the one who said, "Oh Lord, listen, even if I got to die with you, I will never forsake you. I'll never deny you." First chance he gets, where's Peter? Denying Jesus. Nowhere to be found. Where are the disciples? They're MIA. It's interesting isn't it that even though his disciples even though those who were with him for three years even though they uh, forsook him even though they abandoned him the bible tells us over and over and over again that when we are faithless our god is faithful that even though we are prone to forsaking him he will never forsake us four times in the text Not this one, but in the Bible as a whole, four times we're told that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Three times in the Old Testament and then again in Hebrews chapter 13. So here's what's going on. What's going on in Psalm 88 is the psalmist is pointing forward to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And what we are learning is this. We're learning that Jesus Christ was forsaken so that those who believe in him Would never be forsaken. That God the son. Experienced God the father. Turning his face away from him. So that those. Who are called by Jesus name. Would never know that kind of God forsakenness. The wrath of God. That Jesus suffered. Was not because of his own sin. It was because of. Your sin and my sin. And so the wrath that swept over Christ, the dreadful assaults that destroyed him, verse 16, we would never experience that. And as we come to the table this morning, we do so understanding that it's not just that the body of Jesus was broken and His blood was shed, but we understand that all of that was God's will. That it was according to God's plan that God the Son was abandoned by his friends. That his beloved and his friends shunned him. That his companions became darkness. It was God's will to forsake his Son so that those who are called by his Son's name would never, ever be forsaken. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning we would learn the lessons of Psalm 88 because I fear that there will come times in all of our lives in which we will need them. There will be times in all of our lives in which our soul will be full of troubles and we will be inclined to forget Jesus. There will be times in which our soul is full of troubles and we will be inclined to think it's either that we lack faith or we will give up praying. And Lord, I pray this morning that as the troubles of this life, and we know they're going to come, and when they invariably come, Father, I pray that at that point, the light of your word would get shed on our minds and in our hearts when we find ourselves in that very dark place. Would we be reminded that we are not alone, that we are not forsaken? Would we be reminded that because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Your covenant faithfulness will always be with us. And Father, may we give ourselves day and night as the psalmist did to crying out to you. Understanding that if an unjust judge gave justice to a persistent widow, how much more will our perfect and loving and just Heavenly Father give justice to To his people. We ask and pray all these things now. In the name of your son Jesus. Amen.